Well, good morning, everyone. I am grateful to be here with you on this Mother's Day morning. Um, first, let me begin. I know that we've already heard, <clears throat> excuse me, some people share this, but I want to say Happy Mother's Day as well. And I want to say Happy Mother's Day to moms of every capacity, right? Sometimes, and this was, this was true in first service, certainly, maybe you're one of those exhausted moms of a newborn or a toddler. Um, I, I feel you. I've, I've been there. I'm not there right now, okay? Or maybe your child came to you a little older through adoption. Maybe that happened. Um, and so you're, that, you're a mom of an adopted child. Or maybe you got to hold your child for only a moment as a foster parent. Any of those aspects are so important. Maybe you're a spiritual mentor and you're a spiritual mom, if you will, to a child in your life. We are so grateful for you. And I want you to know that those moments and those relationships that have been created are so significant. And they have the potential, think about this, they have the potential to not only impact that life right then and there, but to impact generations to come amazing opportunity that we have been given to speak into the life of another. I'm grateful for, for all the work that my mother did while she walked on this earth with us as she guided us and guided me to know the Lord in her later years. You know, I want to start this morning with a quote that I read recently. It says, God uses mentors to spark life change and legacy impact. Now, we could look at celebrating today in many, many ways, but this Mother's Day, we're going to consider that quote. And we're going to consider what it means to sp focus specifically on the spiritual mentor and guide in your life and you in the life of another. Because all those roles that I mentioned earlier, they have a common thread. Loving, teaching, and mentoring. So whether we have the privilege to walk with another, a child, for years, possibly, or even just for a moment. This Mother's Day, let's consider the significance of the gift of that time. It is a gift between the two of you, and there is such significance in that. Listen to what Paul says in Philippians 2.4. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interest of others. It is a gift and a commandment that we share with one another. And as I think over the years, I have experienced this on both sides of the coin. Many have poured into my life, and I have had the opportunity to pour into the life of others. Those are blessings in my own life. And you know, then I think about it, and I think we are actually surrounded by mentors. In this room, as you look around, there are many people who have maybe guided you or guided others on their spiritual journey. But I think sometimes we lack, if you will, the vision to acknowledge or to see them in our life. And when we don't see them, then do we listen and take to heart the advice and the wisdom that they can share with us on our own journeys? Imagine if we approached every interaction with those who have gone before us and then those who are coming along behind us in a way, if you will, to pass the baton. The baton was passed to us, now we get to pass it to another. This gospel message, this message of truth and of hope. It's a mindset of that we can receive, but in turn, we must also give. And that is mentoring from a biblical perspective. 
That is mentoring and sharing God's word from a biblical perspective. And I've seen it in real time throughout um, my life with my older children and with my younger children, through teachers, through mentors, through Sunday school teachers, through those who offered childcare in many different ways. Many people played an integral role in the spiritual formation of my children. He used many, and I consider just my youngest two. Just my youngest two, there was Nicole and Christy and Molly and Laura and Sarah and Chrislyn and Jessica and Tabitha and Wendy and Karen, and those are just a few. Those are just a few. I'm leaving some out, I'm sure. Every time God had to draw one away, there was always another waiting right in line to help to guide my children. So why do I share their names? Because it's a real reminder to me that there were people in my children's life that God used to guide them, to to guide their spiritual formation. Those people that God crossed with our path, and I am so grateful for them all. Oswald Chambers says, we are to be fountains through which Jesus can flow as rivers of living water in blessing to everyone. I love the picture of that when I consider the thought of that in my mind. And then listen to Proverbs 25. The purpose in a man's heart is like deep water, but a man of understanding will draw it out. So I pictured that. I thought of a well, right? And I thought of the bucket, the bucket that you lower and it goes deeper and it goes deeper and it goes deeper until finally you hear the splash of water. Finally, you have hit water. So I think of a spiritual mentor the same way. A spiritual mentor helps another dig deeper and deeper and deeper until finally we begin to grasp and understand the truth until it is finally revealed. So I look at it this way, biblically and in my own life experiences. We not only have the opportunity but the expectation, if you will, to be godly mentors and teachers in the lives of others, intentionally digging deep together, right? Digging deep together as we foster growth. And then we take those roots and they will go even deeper in another's life. But it requires us to consider a few questions. First, are you, am I, willing to give up my own control to allow others that I might trust into my life and in the lives of my family? I'm grateful for those who came um, with my children, who were raised up, if you will, with my children. But I had to let them in. Are you willing to invest into the life of another, even if it's just for a season? Even if it's just for a season? As you ponder this, we're going to look this morning at the life of Naomi and Ruth because I think these two women found strength and courage in one another through some of the most difficult times in life. And in the end, it provided, back to that quote, a spark that was a legacy impact. And we'll talk about that as we move on this morning. So the book of Ruth is in the Old Testament, and we're going to start there this morning. This story takes place in a very chaotic time in Israel's history. The judges ruled, but I'll tell you, there was a lot of moral and spiritual decay that was taking place in the lives of God's people. And as the story begins, Naomi and her husband and her two boys actually leave their home in Bethlehem because of a famine that was taking place in the land. And they go to make a home in a foreign land in a place called Moab. And there's so much to that story in and of itself. And I won't go there this morning, but that's an interesting study. Now, this trip is about 50 miles and would have taken at least a week on very difficult terrain for them to travel this journey. So as they left their homeland 
and their people. I wonder what effect it had on Naomi's ability to trust. As she made her new home in a foreign land surrounded by foreign gods, I wonder the effect that it had on her faith. Now, Naomi's two sons would marry women outside the Jewish heritage. Again, definitely not something that would be um, accepted in the Mosaic laws. And hardship would come for this family. We read that Naomi's husband would soon pass away. And within about 10 years, we read that Naomi's two sons, again as well, would both pass away. What does she have left in this foreign land? Naomi left with her family to seek a better life and is now left on her own with two daughter-in-laws from a pagan land. I wonder how God will get her attention in this scenario. Naomi has a decision to make. She hears that the famine has passed in her homeland, and so she decides she's going to return there. I imagine she's thinking, maybe the people there, my people, will surround me with love and care, and I won't be alone. I'll have food on my table. But then there are those two daughter-in-laws she's got to consider. They are family now, right? So what does she do with them? Again, I have to ask myself, did Naomi really want to take home this tangible, tangible evidence, if you will, of these questionable decisions in her life? She had moved from her home. She had moved from her God and her people to a foreign land, a pagan culture that worships foreign gods. And now she has these Moabite daughter-in-laws. So Naomi, Naomi encourages those two daughter-in-laws, their names are Ruth and Orpah, to go back to their homes where they may be able to start afresh. Go, she says, because maybe you'll be able to find a husband. Maybe you'll marry again and life will be all right for you. One says, no, I want to go with you. And one does decide to return to her father's house with the hope of a new future. But to the one who says, no, I'm going with you, Naomi, listen to her reply. It's to Ruth that she is speaking. This is Ruth 1.15. She says to Ruth, See, your sister-in-law has gone back to her people and to her gods. Go, return. Don't go with me. Don't make that decision. So Naomi is urging Ruth to go back to her people, and I find this a bit alarming. She's encouraging her to go back to those false gods. It makes me begin to question Naomi's faith at this particular moment in her life. I've been there, questioning at times. Now, we know she had been there for over 10 years because the scripture tells us that, and that's a long time to be influenced by a foreign culture around you. But that doesn't make Ruth turn and run. She steps up in a different way, and this is a turning point in this whole story. Listen to what Ruth says. She says, don't urge me to leave you or to return from following you, for where you go, I will go, and where you lodge, I will lodge. Your people shall be my people, and your God, my God. Where you die, I will die, and where, and there will I be buried. May the Lord do so to me, and more also, if anything but death parts me from you. Naomi may be struggling just a little bit with her faith, but Ruth declares her allegiance to Naomi, declares her allegiance to Naomi's people and to Naomi's God. And not only that, she says, if I don't do what I say, may the Lord be the judge. So these two women decide to leave together. We find Ruth, who leaves all that she has ever known. She leaves her homeland. She leaves her people. She leaves her gods in order to take that hard 50-mile journey in an unknown territory, 
unsure of the outcome and probably imagining in her own heart she'll never marry again. It will be her and Naomi until the end. How will she survive? I think it's reminiscent of the story of Abraham, isn't it? Who left all that he knew, his home, his people, pagan gods, to travel to a promised land, to rely on the promises and the faithfulness of God. Now, this allegiance between Ruth and Naomi begins to grow as the story unfolds. When the women finally finally make it back to Naomi's homeland, you would think Naomi would find some relief. Finally, they have arrived in this place, but that's not what you see. You see some of her despair and her continued doubt. The women who knew her from before are asking even, is this Naomi? Is this the Naomi that we knew? This is her reply. Don't call me Naomi, she says. Call me Mara. For the Almighty has dealt very bitterly with me. I went away full, and the Lord has brought me back empty. Why call me Naomi when the Lord has testified against me and the Almighty has brought calamity upon me? Now, Naomi claims to have gone away full, but I wonder, did she forget there was a famine? Did she forget she was leaving everything she knew was that full? And she says she comes back empty, and again, maybe that's right where she needs to be. And God will be able to get her attention. Now, ironically, it is Ruth, this Moabite woman, who will be an encouragement to Naomi. Together, Ruth and Naomi will have an integral part in guiding each other to reliance on God and to growing and deepening the well, if you will, of their faith. This allegiance between these two women has roots in love. I mean, how else could Ruth give up everything that she knew for something she didn't understand that was ahead? And as we see the story play out, that love seems to deepen and grow for both of them. I'm reminded of 1 Corinthians 13.1. If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I am a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. They had true love between them as they ventured out. Naomi loved Ruth so much that eventually she began to worry about her future, and so she begins to make these plans to help Ruth prosper. And Ruth loved and trusted Naomi enough to follow in pursuit of her God, the God of Israel. And God would prove faithful. He would provide. Unknown to Ruth, God's plan was already underway. And isn't that how it works? We mess things up. We do things that might take us off path, but our God is faithful, and he redeems. And I love the redemption story in this particular story. So the women find themselves a bit destitute. And as is customary in this culture, they're allowed to glean from whatever wheat is left behind from a field that has already been harvested. And Ruth just happens, by the way, to find herself in a field of a relative known as a kinsman. This man named Boaz was a relative of Naomi's late Husband. So there they are on this journey all alone, and they're in the field of a relative. Now, Naomi's beginning to think about things. Her mind is worrying now as she starts to take, or she starts to take a plan and begin to see it play out. The Mosaic laws called for a relative, a kinsman, to redeem a childish woman, a childish, a childless, a childless woman through marriage. So now this man, Boaz, a kinsman, has the opportunity to continue in the family line, and the women will not be at a loss. So if you haven't read the book, I encourage you to do so, but I'm going to give you a spoiler. There's lots of twists and turns. Eventually, Ruth does wed Boaz, and now he's referred to as a kinsman redeemer. 
He has redeemed this family line. This was a man who showed much kindness, a man who was of significant means, and a man who following his own heart and God's laws would redeem this family. He redeems Ruth. But here's the thing. In the same action, he also redeems Naomi because the women would no longer be destitute, but in God's grace, they would find themselves with plenty. And there's more. There would be more to come. Listen as we skip way ahead now to chapter 14. These are Ruth's words to Naomi. Um, Boaz and Ruth have been wed, and she says, Blessed be the Lord who has not left you this day without a redeemer. Remember, she's saying this to Naomi. And may his name be renowned in Israel. He shall be to you a restorer of life and a nourisher of your old age. For your daughter-in-law, who loves you, who is more to you than seven sons, has given birth to him. Now there's a child. Then Naomi took the child and laid him on her lap and became his nurse. And the women of the neighborhood gave him a name, saying, A son has been born to Naomi. They named him Obed. He was the father of Jesse, the father of David. Now this union would be more, this union of Naomi and of Ruth, would be more than a story that included those tragedies and happy endings, if you will. It would find its way into the line of David, the lineage of Jesus Christ, who is our true Redeemer, our Lord and Savior. I'm always in awe of how God works out these amazing details. But before we try to compare this to a Hallmark movie, right, we have to remember there was a lot of tragedy and struggle for these women. They had to endure a lot because in the beginning, Naomi left with everything to pursue life that led her away from God. And later we see Ruth leave with, without anything in order to travel to a life that would pursue God. Naomi was going away from God. Ruth was heading towards God. Naomi claims that she left full and returned empty. Ruth left with nothing but would be filled through God's grace. Ruth's relationship would grow with God as it grew with Naomi, and in turn, Naomi's eyes would be open. She had to see what Ruth could offer to her in her life. Her eyes would be open again to see the faithfulness of her one true God. The two women would teach each other along the way through the hardships and through the tough choices because God always has a plan, and Ruth would eventually provide Naomi with that heir, an heir in the line of David. Jesus, our Redeemer and Savior. Two unlikely companions who encouraged one another through the hardships of life, who helped each other turn to God in the midst of the unknown. This story is rich, and it has so much within its pages. It's God's word after all, and so it teaches us much. But this is what I am reminded of today. You never know how God will use the time and care that you have invested in someone else whether it's a moment or whether it's a lifetime. God will use that in their life for generations to come. This was a woman in a foreign land who was loved, who was taught, who was mentored, who would be the great-grandmother to David, King David, in the line of Jesus. And it wasn't by chance that it all happened. So how does this play out in your life? Consider where God has you today. Who do you see in your path? Open your eyes to those people. Who is behind you that you can now pass that baton to? 
Ask God to make you sensitive, to open your eyes so that you can see who it might be that you can mentor. You have a gift to give. And who might be able to mentor you as you continue on this journey? Because you never know how God will use the time and care that you provide to another as the baton is passed from person to person to person and as the generations go on and on and on. As I close this morning, I want to share with you that there have always been people at my house. I love that. And I remember the first time that I met Karen. The first time I invited Karen to our house for a dinner was for Easter dinner. And I want you to know we are not a formal group of people. She had a different experience that weekend, I'm sure. We had, I think, five, maybe six of our kids all home at the same time. Karen is a part of our family now. All my kids know Karen and expect her to be a part of our lives, of our generations. Mind you, Karen and I are very different, but there's a common thread, and I love that about our relationship. This common thread binds us together. It's our love for God. It's our desire for spiritual growth, going deep into the roots, into the well, if you will. And it's the willingness to dig deep into that truth. I had no idea the story God was creating when I was first introduced to Karen. But I now know that he had a plan, and that plan will continue. I only needed to be willing to play a part in that role. So I do very well remember that Easter... And it was definitely more chaotic than I was accustomed to. Um, I'm pretty sure it included, uh, it ended uh, with washing a raw egg out of Emma's hair, which I'm sure she would appreciate telling you all about at some point. That was only the beginning of my time at Betty's house, however. I spent almost every Sunday afternoon at her house for many years. And my favorite story is one day I got there and they were all dispersed throughout the house and It was just a normal thing. I just walked in. I was working through grad school at the time, so I sat down, started my work, and um, I had been there for a long time. I realized that they were watching a movie, and so I just continued doing my work. Tim had come out. We had a nice conversation. One of the girls came out, and I helped them make a sandwich. This was like two or three hours into my time there, and she went back in, and Betty's like, did you do that yourself? They were like six or seven at the time, and they're like, no, Karen did it. And she's like, Karen's here? Had no idea. But to me, that was a comfort level that we had, that I had at her house, that she had with me being at her house, and I'm so grateful for that season. It was just such a normal thing for us at the time. Before I go on, I want to say that I have an amazing mom who I have been blessed to love and be loved by my whole life. And I'm so grateful for her influence and continued selfless love for my siblings and myself. And even to this day, she, I am almost 40 years old, she makes the best cookies of anyone I have ever met. I am sorry, hands down, will always be the best. And even still, if I'm having a rough week or a long day at work, she will deliver iced coffee to me at work. My siblings would tell you I'm spoiled because none of them get that. And I'll tell you, They're 100% right. I am so spoiled, and I am going to enjoy it every moment that I can. I also know that my mom has prayed for me for almost 40 years, and that's something that I do not take lightly. And in addition to an amazing mom, God has provided me with the opportunity to be loved and mentored by countless godly women and men 
which in turn has created a ripple effect in me in that I desire to do the same for others. I love Ruth's commitment to Naomi and Naomi's desire to protect and love Ruth. The thing is, I believe deep down most of us have an innate desire to see the people in our life be on a positive trajectory. We want to see them be successful. We want them to know Jesus and be emotionally and spiritually cared for. This is why I believe spiritual mentoring happens naturally with those whose lives we are a part of. There are so many ways that one can be a spiritual mentor. There is a little caveat, however, and that is the person has to be open and willing to the mentoring. One of the things I love and appreciate about my life is my ability to look back all the way to my youngest years and tell you the various people who were spiritually mentoring me without me even realizing it at the time. Some of them are still a part of my life today. Some are not, be it by death or life circumstance, but I can tell you the difference they made then. I remember my Mamie, my elderly neighbor who taught me from a very young age to notice and appreciate the beauty that surrounded me. Sunsets, sunrises, flowers, I love it all. And to meet everyone, or to treat everyone that I meet with the same kindness that I would hope to receive myself. I remember Donna and Denise, my first Sunday school teachers, who selflessly poured into my life as a young child. They were probably my first spiritual mentors as they taught me Bible stories each week. And then as I grew, I remember my fifth grade Sunday school teacher. She was an older woman named Mrs. Tennant. And one of the things she really worked hard with us on was learning the books of the Bible. I was thinking of her last week as I was working on this message and reading through the book of Ruth. I would love to tell you that I learned all of them in order. But can I be honest? Can I be honest? I can only get to Nehemiah. I can only get to Nehemiah. They're in the front anyways, so why did I need to learn them? I can assure you that she would be really shocked to see me up here today based on my inability to memorize back then. In middle and high school, there was Pam and Frank, Phyllis and Jean, who poured into my life in what some might argue the most difficult years to love a kid. As a college student and young adult, there were even more whom I relied on much more heavily than in those young years. Many specifically taught me about Jesus and his word, but as we've discussed this morning, spiritual mentoring is so much more than that. There have been countless others who have invested in my life in everyday ways. They have prayed with and for me. They have lived their life in a God-honoring way that showed me where I could place my trust in times of difficulty. I remember several years ago, I was in the parking lot after a particularly difficult medical appointment, and I was texting with my friend Sue and shared with her that I was a little bit anxious and nervous about the next steps that I was going to need to take, and her first response was to pray with me. Her second response was to send me God's word. Isaiah 41.10 says, Fear not, for I am with you. Be not dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. I will help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand, and I will never forget that. That is a spiritual mentor, someone whose automatic response is to bring you back to the feet of Jesus. I've been honored to walk alongside others as well. For many years, I was a part of the student ministry here, and a few of those students stick out to me. 
one whom is now a children's pastor at a huge church in Georgia, another who taught me as much about living a life of gratitude as I taught her to trust in Jesus. When I led the landing ministry here at Crosswinds, a teen version of Celebrate Recovery, I was able to walk alongside many teens in some of their everyday struggles. And I can only hope and pray that those years will continue to remind them for years to come of the hope and security that can be found in living a life with Jesus. Betty's Abby and Emma, who have become like family, as was mentioned, I hope that the way they have seen me interact in, with others and live my life has pointed them to Jesus as much as they have pointed me to Jesus. I also think of a friend of mine. She and I read scripture together every single day for years. We lived hours apart, but every single day we took time and we read God's word and we sent each other what God was teaching us through that via email. She was newer to her faith, so I was able to teach her things that some of us, okay, I, take for granted having been raised in the church. I think of another friend of mine who is here at Crosswinds as the result of much prayer and persistent invites that were presented to her. Her whole family is here with her as a result of just one more invitation. And I'm excited to think what God will do through her and each member of her family now that they're here, her husband, their three kids. Who will they become spiritual mentors to down the road? You see, spiritual mentors don't need to be fully committed and all in like Ruth and Naomi, although we can certainly learn from them. But they can be, simply be people that we go through life with. And I hope that as I've shared some of my own examples, you are starting to think of those people in your life who have been spiritual mentors to you and maybe some who you have been a spiritual mentor to. As I was thinking of this, I was reminded of a passage in Scripture. It's found in Mark chapter 2. And a spiritual mentor of mine, Marcy, shared this with me. Speaking of Jesus, it begins, And many were gathered together so that there was no more room, not even at the door. And he was preaching the word to them. And they came bringing to him a paralytic carried by four men. And when they could not get near him because of the crowd, they removed the roof above him. And when they had made an opening, they let down the bed on which the paralytic lay. It goes on to say that Jesus heals this paralytic man and is able to, he's able to walk out of the house, which of course is amazing, right? But the piece I really want to focus on is those four men. They so desperately wanted to see their friend healed that they literally ended up putting a hole in the roof of the house that Jesus was in to lower him down to Jesus. They didn't take him there and said, sorry, man, looks like he's pretty busy today. I don't think we're going to make it in. They found a different way to get him before Jesus. They kind of put it all out there. They quite literally cut a hole in the roof of the house. They probably had to encourage this paralytic man that he was going to be okay, that he could trust them to lower him safely, and it was going to be successful. They also had to probably encourage him that it was okay to interrupt Jesus' teaching. It would likely have been what Jesus would have wanted. They had confidence in that, or they never would have done it. 
Nothing about it seems easy to me, and yet that is exactly what they did. They were spiritual mentors of the highest regard. We all need people who are so committed to us that they will do whatever it takes to get us to Jesus. This passage got me thinking about the people that are in my life, the people I know who I can trust to get me to Jesus' feet, no matter what the cost is to them. They are the same women, I would tell you, are spiritual mentors to me. They are also ones I hope know I would do the same for them. As recently as the last couple of weeks, I can tell you, I have been lowered through the roof by Betty and Jody and Dottie and Krista and others. They intercede on my behalf in a powerful way, each of them in their own unique ways. It is them that I trust to guide me through difficult circumstances because I know it will be through a scriptural lens. It is them who celebrate my successes and support me through the struggles that come up. And in all reality, I am positive that there are more than four people in my life that I can trust in this way. But these women have continually proven themselves to me. They would change their plans for a coffee date or drive me to medical appointments or sit with me and process different stages of life. They send prayers and scriptures through text and they have all reminded me that God has a plan far bigger than mine for my life. Who are your four? Who in your life would you trust to lower you through the roof to get to Jesus? Who in your life do you trust to give you wise counsel because you know it's through a scriptural lens? What I've learned is that I need spiritual mentors, no matter my age, to come alongside me. However, I also need to simultaneously be coming alongside others. While there are people investing in me, I need to be investing in the lives of others. It feels unbalanced any other way. Betty said, you never know how God will use the care you provide to another. When I met Betty 14 years ago, I never imagined that she would become my best friend. And I promise you, she didn't either. Promise. I never imagined that I would find the hope, freedom, and healing that is only available through Jesus, thanks to Celebrate Recovery and the guidance that she gave me. I never would have imagined becoming an ordained Wesleyan pastor. God ordained all of those steps because of her willingness to step up for me in small ways at first. None of it would have been possible had I not learned to trust her to get me to the feet of Jesus. When I invited my friend to church, I didn't consider the impact that her life would then have on others. I was simply thinking of the impact it'd have on her. I didn't consider that she would begin serving, investing in our kids' ministry. The baton is in her hands now, and I know that she will pass it on to someone else who will then pass it on to someone else. I did a small thing. God is doing the big things. We just need to be willing to step up to do the small things so God can do the big things. I did not share these examples of people who have mentored or stepped up for me to give them accolades or who I have mentored to give me accolades, quite the opposite. Honestly, none of us are worthy of those accolades because it is only because of Jesus that we are able to live that out. I share because I want you to see two things. Someone in your life needs you to be stepping up for them. Someone is watching how you handle stressful situations. They're looking 
to you for how to navigate life circumstances. And if you're here this morning, I think it's pretty likely someone has stepped up for you in your life to do the same. Who is it? Who has stepped up for you? And who are you currently stepping up for? You have no idea what God can do with our willingness to walk alongside others. As we close this morning, think about what your next step might be today. If you've yet to accept Christ, that has to be your first step. And then your second step is to acknowledge who in your life has been that spiritual mentor to have gotten you to this place this morning. Who might you be able to invest in as you learn and grow? And if you know and love Jesus, I hope that you can quickly think of someone who has mentored you and who you are mentoring. Maybe you need to tell them the impact that they have had on you. Or maybe you need to do a, be a little bit more intentional in your desire to be a spiritual mentor to those in your life, wherever you are. This morning, I pray that you are willing to be willing to be used by God in the lives of others. Let's pray. Father God, I thank you for uh, this morning. I thank you for all of those gathered here, Lord, and for all of the people in our lives who have been mentors to us, who have helped us on our spiritual journey. Lord, every one of us has had someone or we wouldn't be here in this place this morning. So Lord, I give thanks for those people. Lord, I ask that you would help each one of us to, to continue to be a spiritual mentor to those people in our lives. Lord, that many would continue to come to know you because of the way we choose to put our hope and trust in you. Lord, if there are those who haven't yet accepted you, I pray this morning that they would choose to take that important and exciting step, Lord, that they would put their hope and their trust in you and then they would rely on the people who surround them to continue to teach them how to live a life with you. Lord, we thank you and we praise you for all that you are, for all that you have done for us. We love you and we praise you. Amen.